Thank you for braving the monsoon this morning and being here at Outward Church. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I'm so glad that you came this morning uh, because today is, is really important. If you've been with us uh, for the last several weeks, you know that we've been talking about uh, this idea of endgame, a life with purpose. And what does it look like to have a life with purpose? What does that mean? What does that look like for us? And so what we've been trying to unpack is this idea that we ultimately have an end game. And until we participate with that end game, until we identify with that, we will not have true meaning and lasting purpose in our lives because we're always going to be going after things that are insufficient to satisfy us. C.S. Lewis talked about how we've been knocking on this door all of our lives, and it is this idea that somehow I need something from life. I need something to fulfill me. I, it's something else, and it's something else, and it's something else. I need this thing to fulfill me. And C.S. Lewis says, the door on which you've been knocking on all your life will open at last, and you will have this reality come into your life that you, and you won't even be able to believe it because it will be fulfillment to the extreme, more than money, more than sex, more than power, more than achievement, more than success, more than a great marriage, more than anything, that there is this deep and abiding fulfillment that comes to our lives. But too often, we as Christians are left with this sense that, like, I, I'm a Christian, and yet it doesn't really affect my life. I'm a Christian, and it doesn't really affect the way that I speak to people. You can look at the election right now with the way that supposedly uh, Christian evangelicals are voting right now. But there are many things uh, that we should not be voting for. There are many things that we should not be uh, espousing that apparently evangelicals are espousing in our world. And what is the problem with that? What's the deal with that? Well, guess what? I have the same problem. I have the same problem. It's a glory hunger. It's a hunger for what really belongs to God. And I keep going after it and going after it. And it's my success. It's my achievement. So it affects the way that I vote. It also affects the way that I buy things. Just this last week, I, uh, I've been kind of uh, obsessing a little bit because I'm in the middle of doing a remodel. And, and um, I have been trying to figure out a way to be able to get uh, trash in and out of my um, my property. My driveway's a little skinny, and so they won't bring a dumpster up there, and I live on a semi-busy street, and so I, I thought, you know, I, what I really need is a dump truck, right? And so I, I need to get one of these things. And if you ever get the opportunity to justify with your wife why you need a dump truck, it's a really great thing, right? And so I, I came to this point where I said, I, I really need uh, to, to find something, and so I found this I found, it's not really a dump truck, it's a, it's a flatbed truck. And let me just tell you, I love to buy things on Craigslist. I don't know if you, if you buy things on Craigslist, but Craigslist is like, I mean, it just can turn into such an obsession. And so I'm, I'm thinking this through, and I'm like, what would it be like? And I'm picturing myself in a dump truck, my, wind blow, my, my hair blowing in the wind, and, and my wind blowing as well. I don't know what that means, but... Uh, <laughs> That's a little weird. Okay, anyway, so I'm picturing myself dumping the dump truck and like, oh, throwing trash in there and just kind of walking through all of these steps of like actually taking the trash out as I'm tearing walls out. And it's going to be so fantastic. It's so amazing. So I find this deal on Craigslist. And here's what you shouldn't do when you post something on Craigslist. You should not say, 
OBO, which means or best offer, um, and you should not say, just make me an offer. Because those two things say to me, like, I'm going to get a sweet deal way lower than what you posted it as, buddy. And so I go, I check out the truck, and I wasn't, you know, uh, you know not paying for the vehicle. But I, I drove it, saw some problems, mentioned those problems to the seller. And by the, by the time it was all done, I had myself a 1990 uh, Ford dump truck. And I, I thought, you know, everything seems to be in fairly good working order and so forth. And so I pull out of his house after paying about half of what he posted it for, which was fantastic, right? So I'm, I'm just, I, I am like incredibly excited about what I have just paid for, the price I got it for. I'm just like, man, I'm going to save so much money because I'm not having to buy dumpsters to take this trash out and so forth. And so I get up to Highway 22 and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I pull out on Highway 22, busy, busy road out here or out here, West, West Salem, out in that direction. Pull out, ah, it stops in the middle of the highway, just like stops. And I'm on the phone with my wife and I'm saying, oh no, oh no, oh no. Everything, my good deals flashing before my eyes. All of this glory that I think I'm going to get from taking the trash out and dumping it so easily I don't have to unload it myself. And so I'm stopped. Here I am in the middle of Highway 22, like cars are just going by me like this. And I'm sitting there uh, pressing the push button starter because the key wasn't working. And so pressing this push button and then finally it starts and uh, I go and I get fuel. Well, then pretty soon I figure out some other things. Um, the wipers stopped working. Apparently the fuel gauge doesn't work either. Um, what else? Uh, one headlight doesn't work. The side of the bed is kind of broken. There's uh, multiple things that are wrong with this vehicle. And so I'm sitting next to this vehicle yesterday and I'm obsessing again. What was I doing before? I was obsessing about purchasing this vehicle. And so here I am, I'm obsessing and I'm, and I'm going, okay, how can I fix this? And how can I fix that? And I, man, you know what I really need now is I need uh, this for the, the, the back of it. I need some sideboards for it. So how am I going to put those on? And I'm obsessing about it, obsessing about it. And pretty soon I realized that I am just like, all just like, man, I just, I want this. And something in me just kind of said something. And that is, Will it ever be enough? I keep going after these things, and will it be enough, 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 and it's just not. Because if it's not a 1990 dump truck, I don't know what you want, but that's, that's what I wanted. Um, not everybody wants one of those, but some of us do. There's a few, but uh, if it's not a 1990 dump truck, what is it that will satisfy what is, it the thing, what is the thing that is going to ultimately satisfy you? So I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. What we've really been talking about over the last several weeks is really being about on mission for God. And how does that connect? I'll connect it in a minute here. But we've really been talking about what it means to be on mission for God. What it means to be somebody who, who their, their life and their lips match. What they say they believe comes out in how they act, and as a result, they actually act like a Christian. They actually act like someone who knows and loves Jesus Christ. They actually act like somebody who's doing this. Well, here, here's our main problem, and that is that you and I have this deep issue with always substituting something else for God, and it's stupid things that we want. 
And then they break down on us or they don't quite fulfill us. And then we just want something else. And then we just want something else. And as we said, it's a door that we've been knocking on all of our lives and we keep going after it. We keep going after it and we can't seem to get it. But what this does to the person who says that they're a Christian is this, is that it causes them to not be on mission for God. It causes them to not be about God's endgame and to be about God's purpose in your life. And so where we started was really at the very beginning. Why were we created? What, what, what purpose, what's the reason for our existence? Why do, we have, why do we even exist? And what we said from John 1, 1 was this, is that it says this, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without anything, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And what we said was this, is that Jesus is the reason. Jesus is the Word. The Word there, Word, means the reason. The philosophers of that day would sit around and talk about what's the reason for life? What's the Word for life? What's the logos for life. And John comes in and he says, Jesus is. In the beginning was the reason. And the reason was with God and the reason was God. That's what John is saying. He's saying that Jesus is the reason for life. It's not dump trucks and it's not money and it's not sex and it's not power and it's not a great marriage and it's not a great president and it's not anything that you and I could desire. It is one thing and it is Jesus. And why is that? Why is that? Because Jesus is the door. Jesus is the door. He says, I am the door. Jesus is the door toward being fulfilled in the deepest sense of your life. Jesus is the door toward the glory of God. And as I said last week, our life and the glory of God the thing that we've always been wanting. We keep thinking that it's in stupid things like dump trucks, the thing that we've always been looking for. It's in things that we think are gonna fulfill us like our success and in our relationships. It's in those things. But really, the thing that we've always been looking for is the glory of God and our life and, and our existence inter intersect with the glory of God on the cross of Jesus Christ. And as I said last week, what we're going to be doing on Good Friday is we're going to celebrate, we're going to boast in the cross. Why? Because the cross is our way to God. The cross is the doorway to knowing God. You cannot get to God, you cannot get to your ultimate meaning and purpose without going through Jesus. So many times people have such issue with this have so many issues with this. And so I, I, uh, I pulled some information from uh, Timothy Keller, who's a pastor in New York City, and I wanted to share that with you. I want to do that uh, kind of early in the sermon so I don't run, run out of time for this today. But oftentimes, Christians um, in, in our world, we end up having uh, these issues, and we end up trying to share our faith, or we're trying to get over some things about God. And oftentimes, we ourselves don't have the faith that we need to be able to enter into this relationship with God. 
And so what does this mean? What does this look like? How come I keep running into these questions and I can't answer them? And so what we've been trying to do is to try to answer those questions and say the thing that you've always been wanting is the glory of God. But here's some things that are going to be very practical for you. And these are called uh, the defeaters. Can you put that slide up for me? Deconstructing defeater beliefs. And this is uh, by Tim Keller. This is obviously from him. The first one is this. What is the problem with Christianity? If you were to walk around and you were to talk to uh, a bunch of other people, you would come up with these six responses. I almost guarantee it. And so these six responses oftentimes are, are the issues. This is the first one. The other religions. Uh, what about the other religions? He says this. No one should insist on their view of God better than all the, other, uh, or all the rest. Every religion is equally valid. And the, the issue with this is the exclusivity of Christianity. Why does it exclusively have to be through Jesus? Why does it exclusively have to, have to be that? Well, oftentimes people say this, and they're, they're, they're saying this, but yet they don't really even understand what they're, uh, what they're communicating. And so what they're saying is they're saying, no one should insist on their view of God being better than all the rest. And Tim Keller's response is, is this. He says, inclusivism is really covert exclusivism. Inclusivism is really covert exclusivism. And what he means by that is this, is that really when you say that no one's view of God is better than anyone else's, and that all roads lead to God or what have you, you yourself have just made an assertion about God. And what Tim Keller says, he says, but what you just said could only be true if one, there is no God at all, or two, God is an impersonal force that doesn't care what your doctrinal beliefs are about him. So as you speak, you are assuming by faith a very particular view of God, and you are pushing it as better than all the rest. This is at best inconsistent and at worst hypocritical since you are doing the very same thing you're forbidding. So when somebody comes and they say, you know what, I don't really think that, why does it exclusively have to be through Jesus? Why does Jesus have to be the door to really experience this? What about all of the other religions? And really what they're saying is that they're, they're saying, I have a religion too. And this is my view of, of God or how that should go. And they're actually asserting the very same thing that they're saying that we should not do. The second one is this, evil and suffering. A good, all-powerful God wouldn't allow this evil and suffering. Therefore, this God doesn't exist or he can't be trusted. Keller goes on to say, if there is a God, he must be either all-powerful but not good enough to want to an end to evil and suffering, or he's all good but not powerful enough to bring an end to evil and suffering. Either way, the God of the Bible couldn't exist. And so what, what they're saying is they're saying, why would God, if he existed, why would he allow all of these things? Therefore, he can't exist because he has allowed these things. And if he does, I don't want to know him because of this. But the answer to that is fairly simple. If God himself has suffered, our suffering isn't senseless. Our suffering isn't sens senseless. If God himself has suffered through Jesus Christ, then our suffering isn't senseless. He says this, For if you have a great God and transcendent enough to be mad at because he hasn't stopped evil and suffering in the world, then you have, at the same moment, have a great God 
uh, a great and transcendent God enough to have good reasons for allowing it to continue that you cannot know. Like, if you can be mad at God for what he's doing and, and, and for the way that he's allowed evil and suffering to exist, then doesn't that also mean that he is great and transcendent enough to really control those things? So really what you're asserting is, I know there is a God that could control these things, but I just don't want to know him because I don't understand his reasons. I don't understand his reasons for those things. And he says, secondly, though we don't know the reasons why he allows it to continue, he can't be indifferent or uncaring because the Christian God, unlike the gods of all the other religions, takes our misery and suffering so seriously that he is willing to get involved with it himself. On the cross, Jesus suffered with us. No other religion has this. No other religion touts this. We're talking about boasting in the cross. Why are we boasting in the cross? Because Jesus, God in the flesh, suffered with us. He suffered along with us. Third, the ethical straitjacket. We must be free to choose for ourselves how to live. This is the only true, authentic life. What, what does this mean? I, I have to be able to choose for myself how I should be able to live. No one should be able to tell me uh, what I can and cannot do. The solution to this, the solution to, uh, I'm sorry, uh, individual creation of truth removes the right to moral outrage. If you say, I get the right to decide for myself what my morality should be. I should not be in this ethical straitjacket that is Christianity. It should not decide for me what my Christianity is or what it is not, then here's the problem. Individual creation of truth removes the right to moral outrage. You can no longer be morally outraged by horrible, horrible things in our world. You have to be indifferent because you cannot inconsistently apply your morality. Ultimately, what you become is you become the person that is, that is now the moral lawgiver. But what Keller says is this. Aren't there any people in the world who are doing things you believe are wrong? That they should stop doing no matter what they believe inside about right and wrong? It, isn't it conceivable that there's somebody in the world that has done something to you that, they sh that you do not believe that they should be doing? Is it not conceivable that something like that has taken place in, in our world? I mean, when you think about ISIS... And when you think about uh, the, the fights that are happening in political rallies right now, and when you think about whatever, I mean, when you think about the person who screwed you over in business, when you think about the person who uh, left you with, with kids, when you think about, the, don't you believe on some level that there is some kind of moral law? You do believe that there is. You, if you're... It, if you want to assert that, you no longer have the right to moral outrage at the things that are done to you or that are done in the world. Number four, the record of Christians. If Christianity is the true religion, why would so much oppression happen in history with the support of the church? How could so much oppression happen in our world at the hands of Christians? I mean, we could just go on and on down the list from... Uh, the Crusades, 
uh, to, I mean, you could walk through the Old Testament and, and see some, some things that, that you don't necessarily agree with. You could look at uh, the Catholic Church. You could look at many, many local churches uh, throughout our nation, even today. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> you could look at all kinds of people that have, um, I, I mean, you, you know people in your life who are abusing Christianity. You know people in your life who are in the midst of their, their world and they're doing whatever they want for their own glory. How can, how can Christianity be, be true? The solution to injustices is not less Christianity, but deeper Christianity. The, the solution to all of these injustices is not that we just need less of that because that's what Christianity is in the extreme. That is not correct. It's not less Christianity. It's actually more. Martin Luther King uh, Jr., when he confronted the terrible abuses by the white church, he did not call them to loosen their Christian commitments. He used the Bible's provision for church self-critique and called them to truer, firmer, deeper Christianity. The abuses that have happened throughout our world, these abuses that, that have been at the hands of Christians thinking that somehow they're doing God's work are not as a result of having a deep and abiding relationship with Jesus Christ and knowing him personally. They're happening because these are things that people want it's a, it's a desire for greed. It's a desire for power. And obviously what we've been talking about from the beginning of this church and this series has been this. That as long as I'm after my own glory, I will step on whoever I have to in order to get that. We do it all the time. Fifth. The angry God. Christianity is built around a condemning, judgmental deity who demands blood sacrifice even to forgive. When you think about uh, Christianity, uh, the concept of condemning, uh, you know, judge, judgmentalism, and, and the question comes, why can't God just forgive us? Why can't God just forgive us? Why does he have to go through this whole blood ritual? When you look at the uh, Old Testament sacrifices, those are a picture of, uh, of really Jesus being sacrificed, blood being spilled, and as, as a result, sin being paid for. Why? Why does God allow this to happen? Why does he do this? The response is this. On the cross, God does not demand our blood but he offers his own. On the cross, God does not demand our blood, but he offers his own blood. All forgiveness of any deep wrong and injustice entails suffering on the forgiver's part. If someone truly wrongs you because of your deep sense of justice, we can't just shrug it off. We sense there's a debt. We can either A, make the perpetrator pay down the debt as you feel and take it out of his hide in vengeance, in which, in which case, evil spreads into us and hardens us. Or B, you can forgive. And that is enormously difficult. But that is the only way to stop evil from hardening us as well. If we can't forgive without suffering because of our sense of justice, it's not surprising to learn that God couldn't forgive us without suffering coming in the person of Christ and dying on the cross. 
we also believe in the idea of suffering for what you've done. You do something to me, you're going to pay. You're going to pay for that. You run into me with your car, you're going to pay or your insurance company is going to pay. Someone's going to pay. We believe in sacrifice. Someone has to atone for the things that are done. When misdeeds and wrongdoing take place, we believe that some, something needs to be sacrificed. And we often say that person should pay with their job. They should pay with their life for taking the life of someone else. They should pay money or restitution. They should pay with this. We also believe in suffering. And here's the difference between uh, Christianity and all the other religions. Christianity says this, that the God of the universe sends his son, God himself, to earth. And he suffers in our place and says, I've made a way for you not to have to suffer in that way for you not to have to do that because I've done it for you. I've done it for you. Last one is this, the unreliable Bible. The Bible can't be trusted historically or scientifically, and much of its teaching is socially regressive. When people look at the Bible, they, they oftentimes incorrectly assume many, many things about it. Many people believe that there was... Uh, one, one Bible and that all of the other translations that we have today are a translation upon a translation upon a translation upon a translation, which obviously, like the game telephone, like if I tell you a secret and then it's going to have to get around to here by the time it gets through all of these people, it's going to be a vastly different secret. And people think that that's the way that the Bible was written, but that's not the way that the Bible was written. The Bible was written uh, by people as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And we have multiple, many, 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 many manuscripts. And here's what's, what's interesting about that. When you find a manuscript over here, and then you find another manuscript over here, thousands upon thousands of miles away, and they both agree with each other, that's a pretty dang good, uh, 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 a pretty dang good, um, I'm totally missing the word here, but uh, indication what happened in my head right there? Indication. Okay, that's a pretty good indication that, that these things, they match. They're the real thing. So this Bible did not just come from another translation and another translation and another translation. It came from multiple, multiple manuscripts that agree with one another. They agree with one another. And then when you go on hundreds of years and then you find another manuscript that dates before the original manuscript that we had written the Bible from, and that one agrees with what I have in here, that's a dang good indication. I remembered that. What is wrong right now, all right? I think what's happening, we have water dripping from the ceiling um, over here. It's kind of, there's a drip right there. If you see it, just kind of let it go. Let it go. I'm one with the window and the waves, but... Um, in any case, uh, let, let that go. So where was I? The Bible. Here we go. Okay. The gospel's form excludes the gospels from being legends. The biblical gospels are not legends, but historically reliable accounts about Jesus' life. Why is that? Why is that? Number one, their timing is far too early for them to be legends. The Apostle Paul says... These people were there, in 1 Corinthians 15, these people were there. You can go talk to them. You can ask them. They were there. They were witnesses of these things. The apostles are saying, and, and the writers of the New Testament are saying, we were there. We saw it. 
during that time, there were people who could corroborate and say, yeah, they were there or they weren't there. And so it was written during those lifetimes. It says their timing is far too early for them to be legends. The Gospels, however, were written 30 to 60 years after Jesus' death. And Paul's letters, which support all the accounts, came just 20 years after the events. The second thing is this. Their content is far too counterproductive to be legends. Listen to this. The accounts of Jesus crying out that God had abandoned him. I mean, if you're writing a fairy tale, if you're writing a legend and you're saying, you know what, Uh, I really want this to be good, I want to make sure that it's believable, would you really put the words in Jesus' mouth that say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, why, why is that put in there? Is it because Jesus doubted? No, it's put in there so that Jesus can show us that he felt like us. He experienced that. He experienced that pain of being on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why would you put that in there if it wasn't true? The accounts of Jesus crying out, at, um, out, out that God had abandoned him or the resurrection where all the witnesses were women did not help Christianity in the eyes of first century readers. The only historically plausible reason that these incidents are recorded is that they happened. They happened. It happened. And so why are we going through that? Well, here's the thing. If you don't believe that Jesus is real because you have these arguments in your head, you're never going to be able to get to God. I don't have any morality for you. I don't have just a good teaching. All I have for you is a person. All I have for you is the God of the universe. And he has determined that the way to know him is through Jesus Christ. The way to know him is through Jesus Christ. And when you know him, what's going to take place when you've truly given your life to Jesus Christ, and by that I mean this, that you look to Jesus and you say, you're my reason for living, and now I'm gonna center my life around everything that you are and everything that your life meant. I'm going to center my life around who you are. And when that takes place, something incredible happens. You are about God's end game, and now you have a singular purpose in life. You have a singular purpose in life. And that is to glorify God through Jesus Christ by communicating his gospel to the world. Let me show you in John 17. In John 17, as I said before, we've, we've come back to this periodically throughout this series, and I think it's incredibly important that we, that we look at this together. John 17 is essentially a man on his deathbed who is crying out and he's, he's praying, this is, this is what I want, this is what I'm looking for. This is, this is the most important thing to me. So Jesus, he's on his deathbed and he's praying this and, and he's saying, here are the things that I care most about. And it says in John 17 verse one again, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. The hour he's talking about is him going to the cross. 
And he's saying, this is the central event that's going to bring you glory, God. This is the central event. This is the thing. The hour has come since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom, whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. It's just back and forth, back and forth about glory. I want to glorify you. I'm going to glorify you through what I'm doing. I want to glorify you. I want you to glorify me through what I'm doing uh, for you and for our world so here's Jesus. He's essentially having this deathbed conversation with his father. And he's saying, I want to glorify you. And he says a couple of things. I'm not going to read all of it. We don't have time this morning. He says, he says this in verse 16. Talking about us, he's saying, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus says this. When you get who I am, and you understand that the way to your deepest fulfillment, the glory hunger that you've had all of your life, when you understand this and you get it, and you really get it, what you're going to see is this, is that you're, that you're going to see yourself as a sent one into our world. You're going to see yourself as somebody who's going to be in the world in order to glorify God. Why? Because you want other people to experience God's glory. Why? Because it's the greatest thing in the world. It's better than sex. It's better than anything. We get to walk into our world. You get to walk into the strip clubs like some of our, our gals have done and gone in and they've brought hope to these women who are selling their bodies to these men that think that this is the only thing that will fulfill me. And to these women who say that money is the only thing that I need right now and that I just need to support myself. And you get to bring the hope of the gospel. You get to bring to them and say this, that money isn't everything and the church can come around you and serve you and help you. You don't have to sell yourself. And we get to say to the man, listen, sex is going to destroy your life. As long as it's for your glory, as long as it's for you, it'll never be fulfilling. It'll only lead to death and destruction. You're a sent one into our world. We bring hope to the people in our city. We make our city better. And so he says, as, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Christians here today, I'm just talking to Christians. Can you please wrap your brain around this, that you are not simply someone who is a Christian in name only. You are somebody who has been called to be in your city. You are somebody who's been called to give up everything for the sake of Jesus. It means that when you are in your city, and when, when we go out and we serve at Richmond Elementary, or Washington Elementary right now we're trying to create a relationship with, or uh, Highland Elementary over here, 
And when we hear about kids that are not eating over the weekend, it means our heart breaks. My heart breaks because Jesus is real. Jesus is real. And Jesus is the way to having true fulfillment. And as a result, I'm a sent one, and you're a sent one. And it is unbelievably, unbelievably disrespectful to the name of God to be somebody who doesn't care about the people in our city. It is unbelievably, unbelievable. Great words this morning, right? To, to miss this scripture and to say that somehow that doesn't apply to me because I'm just too busy. Because I don't want to give my funds or my time to those things. And here's why, verse 19. And for their sake, I consecrate. Consecrate means devote. It's essential. I'm giving myself up. And what's he mean by that? He's saying, I'm consecrating myself. I'm giving up my body. Jesus is saying this. He's saying, I'm going to the cross. I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now, what does that mean? It means this. Jesus gave himself up for you. And when you get that reality that Jesus literally gave his body up for you, you're sinning against him, your sin is putting him on the cross, he's dying for you. He's saying, I've given myself up, I've devoted myself, and the reason is this, is that they would be sanctified, and sanctified is really just a big word for changed or to become righteous or that they would live their lives rightly, that they would be sanctified in the truth and not in the lie. And what is the lie? That somehow you can find fulfillment in your stuff. If I was speaking to my son right now, I'd say that somehow you could find fulfillment in a new Lego set. Somehow you could find fulfillment in the things that are in your life. Jesus died so that you would know something, so that you would know that your stuff isn't taking you anywhere. It's only violating God's glory. You're trying to steal from God what is rightfully His. And as a result, you know what's happening? The world is worse off because of humanity's desire to fulfill itself with glory. Sanctify them in truth, that you would be sanctified in truth. I gotta keep going, verse 20. I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So Jesus is saying, I'm not just praying for the people that have heard the word of truth. I'm not just praying for them. And get this real quick. It is not us against the world. We are not against our world. We are for our world. There are things about our world that we disagree with because we believe it's leading to endless chaos. We believe that children should stay alive in their parents' womb. We believe 
Be, that, that the best thing for our world is that marriage should happen in this way. Why? Because I didn't create the world. I don't create morality. God is the one who said that, and he said that the family unit is the most important thing because it represents who God is. I don't ask for these only. I'm asking, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. I'm asking for the world, for them also. Jesus is praying for people that don't know him yet. That they may all be one. People that don't know him yet, but that are going to come to know him. That they would be one. That they would have a singular purpose. That they would have a singular, uh, unified purpose. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What happens when you and I are on mission? Like there's a bunch of people who give up their money, they give up their time, they give up their stuff. They're not greedy with me. They're, they're not after me for my, for my things. I talked about if you're in sales and you're not about the glory of God, the only thing that you can do is use the person that you're, that you're trying to sell to. You're using them. If you're about the glory of God, you get to use them to glorify God. And guess what? Sometimes you get a sale out of that. But as a Christian, my goal is not to get a sale. It's to glorify God through the people that I serve. It's to glorify God. And guess what? It also works in your marriage. It works in your marriage. As long as your marriage is about you and your self-glorification, you'll be boom, 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 boom. And, get, and it takes a little while. It starts off really, you know, you start fighting. But as you grow in this, it's less and less because you're giving up yourself and you're saying, I'm not going to be about my glory. I'm going to give up myself in the way that Jesus consecrated himself so that we would live in truth, that we get to give up ourselves so that our marriage lives in truth, in the reality of God's glory, so that the world may believe that you sent me. When you live your life in this way, what happens is this, is that the world is going to see your life, they're going to have relationship with you, and they're going to say, there is something about them that fulfills them that is well beyond any type of success. That is well beyond anything that I'm looking for in life. And I keep buying these 1990 trucks and they keep failing on me. They keep failing on me. The wipers stop working. This stops working. But he's happy. But she's joyful. Somebody, somebody died. Somebody passed away. There's devastation. And they're sad, but they're hopeful. Why? Because their glory isn't found in their stuff. Their glory isn't found in their relationship. Their glory is found in Jesus Christ alone. So that the world may believe that you sent me. So that the world may believe that you sent me. The world has got to see that this is real. The world has got to see that we have the power to help our city. And as long as you and I are about our own glory and our stuff, nothing happens, guys. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them. 
that they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Look, I'm not repeating the same verse. This is a different verse. That they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. The answer to the injustices of Christianity is not less Christianity. It's absolutely more. It's not evangelicalism. It's not just attending church. It is gospel-believing people who say, the only way that I get fulfillment is through Jesus Christ. It is in and through Jesus Christ, the cross of Christ, that I get to experience true fulfillment through the glory of God. As I bring glory to him, somehow I am glorified in that, and I get my deepest fulfillment as I'm accomplishing that for him. And our world is changed as a result. Oh, I just want to plead with you. Would you please go through your life and just, and just ask yourself, like, am I somebody who's a gospel Christian? Or am I content with just church attendance? If that, you, you've got to understand, our world is going to hell in a handbasket. We have Christians who are voting for things that are absurd. And it's for their own glory. And I would say this, they're not, or they're severely mistaken. We have thousands upon thousands of people in our city that need help. There are thousands upon thousands of people that think that that their glory, that their fulfillment happens in the wrong things that they do. They're sinning against their fellow man by buying young girls in sex slavery or downloading pornography or screwing people over in business, divorcing their families, walking away from their kids. How many, how many times have I heard of this? Like, what is going on? The glory of God is at stake. And Christians, if you don't get this, I fear that you may never have known Jesus in the first place. I'm not saying that you haven't, but that is my fear. This whole series has been about that. Please be on mission. He has sent us so that the world would know. You cannot tell the world how they can know Jesus until you know him yourself. I want to just pray right now. Lord Jesus, there are so many people in this room, and God, I know that we have a lot of great people here right now. 
that want to know you better. Lord, if we're honest with ourselves, there's no one in this room, including myself, that is not having a glory struggle. If we're honest with ourselves, we, we truly don't always want what you want. But Lord, for most of us, there are some drastic changes that need to come. We have not looked into our life and peered into our desires and the things that we want enough to be able to point those things out and say, that is really a desire for glory which belongs to God, and I'm not living like a Christian, like a gospel-believing Christian in that area of my life. Lord Jesus, would you save us from that? Save us from the lie. Sanctify us in your truth. Let us be all about your glory in this life. Lord, understanding that our world brings about so many lies about you and about your word. And Lord, I pray that even though we may not have all of those things answered for ourselves, that Lord, you would give us the faith to believe you and then to walk in that faith, not to not to simply be moral people, but to be world changers. That the world may know that you have sent us and that you love them. It's in your name we pray. Amen.